This is Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. High performance. Human optimization. Human optimization. People think hectic. Craziness. No time. No fun. Just work, work, work. work, work. work. Perform. Perform. Harder. Harder. Push. Push. Machines. High pressure. No time. It's time to slow down to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and human optimization specialist. During the show, Monique and her guest will talk about all things time management, impactful leadership, mindset mastery, and energy efficiency. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency On Demand, and this is your host, Monique. All right. Um, Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Efficiency On Demand. Today, I have Jared Bull, a transformational coach from... He's in LA this morning. I know that much. (laughs) But um, welcome to the show, Jared. Thanks for making time for us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to being here. Awesome. So uh, tell me first what you're doing in LA. Yes. So actually, I'm visiting my coach here, but then I'm also visiting two clients as well. So I'm just traveling and I'll be here till for about another two days and then I'll head back to my home, Boulder, Colorado. Right. Boulder. How's Boulder? Boulder's beautiful. I love it. The town there, it's So a little history about Boulder is it was more of like a kind of spiritual, high consciousness, maybe wah-wah-wee-woo type of town back in the 60s and the 70s. But then the tech, kind of the tech field, the dot-com era exploded. And then a lot of the tech companies moved out there. So we have Google out there now. Tesla is at one town over. So it's actually since the 90s, it's got this real interesting energy about it that it's, it's got that, you know, like higher consciousness really health oriented type of culture, but everyone is high performing as well too. And that's really the energy that I thrive in is that more conscious way of doing things, but without having the, I guess maybe airy fairies to say it and the real grounded, you know, performance uh, business side of things. So I love the town. I mean, I'll be there for the next 10 years for sure. That's the energy. Right. (laughs) That's super interesting. So I was wondering, how did he get to be a transformational coach? So usually we as coaches, you know, we got to a point probably that we we experience something that makes us think of changing our lives somehow or our career path. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we're here to speak about efficiency. So probably there was something in your life that made you think about living your life differently. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So how it really started for me was I went into the Marine Corps when I was 17 years old. Uh, So speaking of like efficiency and productivity, I mean, that's what we're trained in from the start. You know, like that, there's no other way. That's just how, that's just the the standard is super productivity and efficiency. Everything has to be lined up perfectly. So I went into the Marine Corps really to gain some discipline and to really gain that mindset. And that definitely drilled it into me. And then I did two combat deployments to Afghanistan, and those were very, very eye-opening for me. So leading, I was leading men into combat at the year, at the age of 18. So I was pretty much still a kid. 
And there I witnessed a lot of death, a lot of life, just pretty much everything, a whole nother culture across the other side of the world. So really there was a culture shock. There was a life shock. Uh, pretty much every emotional experience that you could imagine kind of encapsulated that first deployment to me when I was 18. Mm -hmm. So I had to grow up really, really fast emotionally, but also just culturally, you know, I was exposed to a culture that does, that has exactly opposite value system of where I grew up, which was the United States. And so I was interacting with the people and as I got to interact with their value system and saw how they, they lived, I kind of realized that maybe I wasn't on the right side of the coin. Maybe I, like, maybe I had done something wrong. I felt like the stormtrooper. I guess that's the best metaphor. I felt like the stormtrooper from Star Wars. And I, I kind of had an identity crisis halfway through the deployment. And so really from that point, you know, I said, you know, I got to stick out, do my duty for my country and for my fellow guys here. And so I did, made it back to the, from the deployment alive, had all my limbs and everything like that, which was very fortunate because a lot of people didn't make it back. And then I did another deployment to Afghanistan, which I didn't necessarily agree with because I didn't really agree with what the military was doing. But that second deployment was actually really good because it was a building phase of the military. And in the military, you have three phases. You have the clearing phase, which is all the combat and, and the killing. And then you have the hold phase, which is holding against the counterattack. And then you have the rebuild phase, which is rebuilding up the local infrastructure and the economy. And so the second deployment when I went there was actually really, really awesome because I got to work with village mullahs and elders. I got to interact with the culture. There really wasn't that much fighting. I was paying people to rebuild mosques, kind of all the damage that we had done when we went in there originally, I got to rebuild back. So it was actually a very healing experience the second time going back. And I, I really got to know the culture. But when I got back from that, I viewed my whole culture completely differently. And so then I left the Marine Corps when I was 22. And that was really, that was 2012. And I guess that's when I had what you'd call as an awakening experience where it was like, okay, I'm, I'm not only questioning my individual values, but I'm questioning my culture's values and really asking myself, what does it mean to be human? And so I spent the next four years in college uh, really just exploring those questions. And then I graduated from college and then I started up a YouTube channel just sharing with people in the world what it was that I was passionate about from, you know, shamanism to mysticism to leadership to efficiency to pretty much every, every time, like what it means to be human, you know, like human relationship. I just released everything. And over that period of time, I got a lot of, I, I built up a following. So I got about like 26,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel in a really short amount of time because I was able to break down really complicated topics from spirituality, whatever that means to leadership, to relationships. All, I just had a love for understanding the human experience at that point. And so I broke down these really complicated topics into simple issues and really clearly communicated to it. And that spoke to a lot of people's hearts. And then I just had a lot of people reach out to me. And I, so I had no intention of being a transformational coach. It was really just because I was producing highly valuable content that the market on YouTube really resonated with. And then people were just like, oh, can I start paying you? And I said, okay, sure. I'm not going to deny getting paid, you know? <laughs> And then slowly, I just uh, started raising my prices more and more. And then till finally got to a point where I was like, okay, if, 
if I don't report this to the IRS, the IRS is going to find me <laughs> down. So I got to start figuring out what it actually means to run a business. And then that was when it actually became official. Right. That's an awesome story. So um, let's go back a little bit in there, um, if you don't mind digging a little bit deeper. So absolutely, when you were like 18 years old, obviously still a kid kind of, right? And you got to mm -hmm. have to lead a team into, well, into the combat, right? Mm -hmm. How would you approach this? Like, basically, you, you don't know really shit about combat. You don't know really shit about team leading. You don't know really things about, like, how to be on the front. So how would you approach going in there? And what was it that you were told by your leaders? Yeah, so it was really interesting. I think this is a great topic to go into because it really relates to value systems. And that's a really big part of coaching. And really anyone who's in a leadership position is really value systems are incredibly important. And so, you know, being a young 18-year-old, like patriotic, who's got a little bit of a religious conditioning behind him, my leaders were telling me that this is what the Afghani people want. They want to be ruled. They want to be led. And so I really realized probably about a month and a half in, I was like, no, these people don't. They, don't, they just don't want us here. Like we're in their country. They, they don't have the same value systems as, as us. And of course, I couldn't communicate that at the time because I had no idea what that meant. But at the surface level, I knew something was really off and something was really wrong. And it, it's the classic case of uh, colonialism happening. And so every single day that went by where I was interacting with you know, on the ground with these people, but then my higher up leadership who was completely removed from the ground and playing in the political world, you know, every single day it was like, no, they don't want us here. They don't need our help. They're fine without us. Why are we even here? And it's really just a clash of value systems. So all of the tension that's being created out there in the world that might be coming from the standpoint of the United States, it's just a difference of value systems. Like clearly it's a It's a different culture. They have different values and we are a different culture and we have different values. And that's what was causing a lot of the tension. And why I love this topic is because this is really what causes a lot of tension in organizations that I've coached. It causes tension in relationships. And it's really just getting clear about what are your value systems? And if people were more clear about what their value systems were in organizations, in romantic relationships, in friendships, whatever it is that you're doing in your life, uh, things would happen a lot more sensibly and a lot more peacefully because immediately you could tell, oh, this person's just not a right fit for me. This organization isn't a right fit for me. This client isn't a right fit for me because we just don't align. And the reason why we don't align is because we don't have the same value systems. And that doesn't make me right or it doesn't make me that them wrong. It's just we have different value systems. Yeah. So I love this because it's a big, big word that we, I don't think every coach, but that hopefully many coaches do with their clients, especially like when it comes to hiring. I do that a lot with my clients as well. Mm. Um, it's the first thing that we have to go back to figure out core values, vision, mission, and so on. Because as you say, if it doesn't align, there is no way that you should be hiring someone just because they have the skills. Yeah. And I think it's really important that people got to understand that, as you say. So how would you approach to figure out someone values and value system? Yeah, 
Great question. And that's a good comment. So I'll just share a story with you. Then I'll go a little bit deeper. I was with one of my clients the other day and they're a new company. They're going to do great. They'll probably go public in about two to three years. And one of the issues that they were having was because they're expanding so quickly and they have that growth orientation mindset and that's their value system. They're at this point where they have a lot of needs and positions to fill. And like you were saying, how they might have the right skills and you might want to hire them real quickly because if they have the right skills, you're like, oh yeah, they have all the right tech skills. So on paper, they might match and they might be good. But then they would get into the interview process and then they'd hire them because they had all the right tech skills on the paper. And then about three weeks to a month, the, the issues started arising. Like the, the, you know, they would show up for work late or they wouldn't be as responsive in the communications. And then all of a sudden there's power plays and power dynamics going on back and forth and there's more chaos. And so finally I told, you know, I asked, I asked the hiring manager, I said, what about just hiring people based off of their value system and really, really filtering for that from the start? I was like, because you can have all the tech skills that you, you can have all those technical skills and that can all look good on paper. But if you're not looking at their way of being at the workplace and what it is that they value, and there's not that alignment then it's going to be a headache from you forever. It's not going to change your shift. Now, there might be some leeway if the person is, if they're in that space where they can adapt to the culture. I love talking about culture and businesses because it's so important to, if you want to expand a business, I'm sure you understand this from your experience, Monique, but you know, if you want to be successful as a business and you want to scale, Eventually, culture building is absolutely integral to maintaining that expansion, absolutely integral. And so we're at this point where the business is expanding to LA, it's expanding over to Miami, it's expanding to Seattle. And so the main hub in Boulder is set. You know, they're doing really good. They just, in July, they did over a million dollars in POs. And so they have, they have the equity to expand but they're trying to do it before their culture's in place. And so that was that was a thing that I advised them. I said, you know, until you have a good culture here in Boulder, do not expand. You're going to regret it in the long run. It's going to come back and, and bite you. I think. Right. Yes. Sorry. I think you had a question for that, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, it would be really interesting, especially because um, probably a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs are going to listen to this. So they're probably going to sit now and be like well damn it I just hire with skills and I have the same thing happen to me you know three weeks in my people just start to slack on being what I thought they should be here for so when we first set up this hiring process like I have a I have a process for the core values right that I'm going through with them for the vision for the mission for everything but I want to hear from you what you would do like actionable steps with your clients or with whomever to figure out what's actually the, their core values and their value system because I do think a lot of people just pick something they're like you know I think this is what I really like uh, but it's not actually what their core values are or their value system are and what they actually live by. So how would you um, bring them to this um, awareness of it? Yeah, that's that's great. I love that. So I'm hearing two things there. The first thing that I'm hearing is people who are getting hired on might think of themselves one way, but they're actually being a completely different person in action. Mm-hmm. 
So, so that's the first thing that I always address is who are you actually being on a daily basis and who do you actually think you are? Because a lot of the times, and that's what I love about coaching work, it's the, it's understanding the disconnect between how you're being perceived, how you perceive yourself, and then who you're really actually being out there in real time in terms of action. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing that I always have them do is I have them ask the person who they're hiring on a daily basis, what's your average day look like? And so it's a lot of questions that you would never really anticipate seeing in, in a maybe a typical job interview, but I, I have them ask their their hire the person that they're hiring, what's a typical day look like for you, and what are your problems? You could probably take a a classic. I don't know if you're familiar with the psychotherapeutic uh, like intake the way of intaking someone in into into your practice in the psychotherapy world but it's pretty much the same. I have a background in holistic counseling. And so when you first take on a new client, you get a snapshot of their day. It's like the first thing that you do. What are their pain points? What are their challenge points? And who are they actually showing up as in their day-to-day life? So I just take that process and overlay it into the hiring process. So you get extremely, extremely personal right away. Extremely personal. So whereas in traditional hiring processes, it's usually like What's your work life like? What's your work ethic? What are your, how are you doing that? But it's actually just flipped its end. It's what's your personal life look like? What's your everyday to day life look like? What's like, how do you manage this in your, because usually how we're managing our personal life is it carries over into the business. Like that's usually how people are, are doing it. Unless you have those really clearly defined a lot of people, how they are in one way are usually another way in, in some area. Yeah. How you do one thing is how you do everything, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's that's the first stage. So if they if they pass the personal interview where it's all just about their personal life and their relationships, and then they'll see that it's not going to infringe upon the business's goals, then they actually go to the more technical skills and are they actually qualified at the technical level? So it's, I love, really, it's a flip. Instead of hiring by tech and that being the first, it's really hiring by the personal values. And that's the first layer of whether this person is going to come on or not. And then the second layer, if they pass that and that that's, they're like good to go, then it goes into, okay, what are your qualifications and in, in your tech skills? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally, totally. And I do a very similar version of it. And I put them even to test if they're speaking the truth, because if you, as you say, a lot of people, they think differently about themselves as they show up, right? So they wish they were one way, but then they show up differently. So um, I have little kind of tests, uh, test questions and test situations with different answers. And actually, that's like kind of shows whether or not they would actually show up the way they tell me before that, right? But let's go back to the business owners and entrepreneurs themselves. So most of the times when I work with them, they're not even sure themselves what value systems they have or what core values. So we come in and they're like, yeah, you know, our core value is, and they throw something at me and I'm like, sure. Yeah. I mean, fantastic. (laughs) You know, it doesn't sound like this is a core value to be... To be proud of or to actually that it doesn't seem you that you're actually living it so maybe that's not the value system that you're actually 
living in. So how are you going about to figure out the value system of the person behind the company? But Because I don't believe that we're actually living core values for a company. We are living our personal core values and value systems and bring it into the company. So it might be either my personal core values or value system that is combined with the ones that I want to bring in my company. Or is like if you have like two or three business owners, whatever, they are combined versions of it. But it's never just like, you know, this is how the business is supposed to show up. Yeah, I love it. That's a great that's a great question. So the first thing and, and I would just before I actually answer this, I just want to comment. I would always say in my experience that it starts at the head. Like the CEO, the CFO, their value systems naturally trickle down throughout the entire organization. Yeah. Uh, because every time that I've spent, I've, I've coached a, a, at least four CEOs at this point who all had successful companies. And after I coached one of them, they stopped, their sales actually started, stopped, it actually started going down. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a little bit worried here. Like this isn't supposed to be happening. I was new into my coaching career. But then I realized he was actually having a value shift. And what he ended up doing was actually selling the company because he didn't want all the responsibility of it. And that was good. Like he, it made out good because he got to, he created a lot of wealth doing it. And now he's moving into another business that he wants to. But that was one of the big realizations that he had when we started doing our value system work. He said, you know, Jared, actually, I came to you because I wanted to expand. But now I'm realizing that I actually have been in this industry for 20 years. I'm ready to sell my company and I want to go over to this other industry. And so he actually ended, and I was having a little bit of a, a, a like a personal crisis from a professional standpoint, because I was like, man, this guy, you know, he hired me to, to do the opposite. Uh, but what ended up happening was he, we ended up selling it after, at, by the end of the six months and he was in a much more happier place. It always starts at the top. And so once the people at the top who are running the show understand their value systems, it's naturally going to trickle down in the, into the company. So the first thing that I always do is, is what I call like a values assessment sheet. And I, I don't know if you've seen these. I, I was trained in over here. We have a Sherpa Executive Coaching School. It's one of the biggest executive coaching schools, or at least one of the most renowned. And so I, I learned executive coaching through them. And so we have a specific process that we walk through. Sherpa is like each letter stands for, for something. And the first thing that I do is the values assessment. And so with the values assessment, I look at what they say their core values are. And then I go and I take them over to another sheet, which is the action, the action sheet. And we look at their behaviors. And so we look at what do they say that they value? And then we look at their behaviors and we say, okay, what, according to your behaviors, what are your value systems? And then we look cross, like cross reference it basically to see where there's incongruity and then where the, wherever there's incongruity, that's what we focus on because then naturally when you get that alignment back, everything will start flowing again. Right. So what is your core value system? What are your top three core values? My top three core values. Okay, great question. So I, I would have to say the first one is integrity. That's huge. And I think anyone who's going to be successful in business, you have to have integrity and trust. Integrity is what builds trust with other people. And I view trust as the very backbone of every business. If you don't have trust, unless you're marketing, 
can go further <laughs> than your your reputation unless your marketing is more powerful than your you know that level of trust that you're building you can be successful but if you're a small size or medium sized business you have to have that level of trust so me being a successful entrepreneur i mean that's obviously a core value i wouldn't have made it this far if i didn't have that core value so i'd say number 1 would be trust number 2 would be efficiency and efficiency that definitely comes from my marine corps uh, training in the in the marine corps we are trained to be as efficient as productive as possible and that's actually been quite hard at times because there's you'll at least in my experience i've seen other uh, other businesses and and worked with other people where that wasn't their core value and that was getting in the way and it, it can create like frustration and tension I'm sure you understand that. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I would definitely say number two is efficiency. And then um, I think the number three would be fulfillment, is -hmm. is really being fulfilled and loving what it is that you do. And all of these go hand in hand. And I'm sure I could draw a bunch of crazy Venn diagrams everywhere that says why these are so, you know, but yeah, so those. I would say those would be the three most important ones to me. Very interesting. Yeah. So my core values are experience because I live for experiences. I don't believe in traditional education, for example. So my education is really to experience everything that I want to learn from. May it be cultures, traditions, other people's um, lifestyles. May it be actually like a lot of my work experience or like work knowledge also comes from experience. Although I did study a lot um, for neuroscience, I did study for project time management, I did study all the efficiency stuff. But if I look at it, 85% comes from 15 plus years of working in this industry, right? Mm. So experience is the number one thing. Um, Impact is the second one. And I do think if I didn't have integrity and and if there wasn't trust, I wouldn't be able to have impact and to create impact and to also receive impact. So I just don't, there's like also like giving and taking for all of these three for me. So it's really important for me that I'm able with my business to create impact as well. So that's why I have a huge social component with it as well. So with every client, for example, I give back to an anti-sex trafficking um, nonprofit that I personally also work with every weekend here in Chiang Mai. It's not only the financial component, but it's also the time that I'm putting into myself. Mm-hmm. And the third one is energy. And I recently only found out about a few months back that energy is a huge thing for me. So what I mean with that is uh, when I meet people, when I interact with people, I, will, I want to leave them energized and I do want to be energized. And if there is an interaction that doesn't energize me, I'm just going to leave it. And so it's really, really important for me because in the past 30 something years <laughs> that I spent on this planet, I didn't honor that and it has been very painful. And so... I always thought I'm a a very extrovert person, but I'm actually not. I'm more of an omniword kind of person. So if I'm in smaller groups, I can be extroverted. If I'm in huge crowds, I'm introverted and I get very overwhelmed with all the sensations. But for example, if I'm standing on stage alone in front of like thousands of people, 
I'm super fine because I don't really see one of them. I see like the crowd and it doesn't make me, you know, so I'm a really safe person because I've been a ballerina for most of my life. So energy is a really, really big thing. So it's experience, impact, energy for me. Beautiful. I love that third distinction that you gave. I, I mean, I've heard of that and I, I definitely have that in my like, I, I understand what you mean when you say that, like feeling the flow and, okay, is there flow here? Nope, there's no flow here. Not worth it to me. Is there flow here? Yes, there is flow here. So I really love that distinction, that third distinction that you that you shared. For you, Monique, that flow, have you noticed any correlations between, I'm going to use some big words here, correlations, it sounds super smart. <laughs> have you found any correlations between what allows you to feel that internal flow and what's going on in the, on the outside world, like with that, with that person, like, are you able to identify what makes you feel that flow with a certain individual or not? Mm. So I feel like, well, that's a bold statement that I'm going to do now, but there are certain people who have not done their work yet and who, uh, continuously act with some toxic behavior and I mean both female and male who do get on my nerves and I mean it literally because I get nerve pain from it yeah so I get trigenital nerve pain in my face from people who act in a certain toxic way and it's like alarm system so I get like it's extreme in some ways and in other ways, it's not as bad, but it's a huge reminder that um, sometimes I just need to listen to myself even more because when I get the pain, I have to go through extreme excruciating pain for like a few days. And, and that's basically like me, my body saying like, what? Da, 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 you're too late, you know, like it didn't listen to yourself. Yeah, it's, it's literally like, as you said before, right, it's a, it's a thing of like sticking, like setting up boundaries, sticking to them. and. That's a learning process still right now because sometimes I feel like I've I'm being too harsh if just based on like intuition or whatever I'm saying like nope you're not my person thanks I'm leaving but then if I'm in this pain because I was right and I haven't been sticking to these boundaries then obviously and I think for a lot of people that sounds kind of like weird because you think like who is she to decide whether this person's toxic or not right but then I mean, we all know these kind of behaviors, right? So if they don't respect like me or my decisions or whatever, for example, that's kind of like that feels toxic. Or if they are, for example, just plain out walking over me as in like they wouldn't uh, respect my like my boundaries or like whatever it is. Like I don't know how to describe it better, but I think this is like this is like behavior that definitely gets on my nerves, literally. <laughs> Yeah. No, I love that. And I, I have a background as an English major. So when I love looking at language and obviously as a coach, you have to be very aware of your client's language, even though I think that's only the surface whenever I'm with a person, I'm feeling the energy of it as well. And okay, what, what chakra is going where and what's this sen physical sensation about? So really what I'm just hearing from you there, Monique, and I love it is it sounds like you navigate the world based off of the flow that makes you feel most blissful. And that sounds like that's just following your bliss. Yeah. And funny enough, I haven't been doing that for the past like 30 something years. 
So I'm turning 33 next month. And it's only in the past like six months, really, that I started finding out about it, which is really interesting because I think I've been doing that before unconsciously. But now I really know about it. I've done a lot of work around it. And I have a fantastic, what I call her my mind magician. <laughs> She's my mind unicorn. Okay. <laughs> and uh, we've done a lot of um, energetic work around as well. And she's like, you know, you're, you're literally like solar power and you have to base everything on energy. And I thought that would be, in the beginning, I thought like, this is just plain weird. And this is too woo because I'm actually not that woo. Like, I'm literally a very rational person. Everyone who knows me from the past 30 years, they would look at me and be like, Monique, are you okay? Are you in trucks? I'm like, nope, I never took trucks. I'm fine. I don't drink for nine years. So don't worry about that. But it's literally just a shift of realizing that I didn't know about me being so energetically loaded or whatever it is right so it's kind of funny to me still I'm loving hard about myself sometimes because if you would know me from like five or ten years back I this is like a 360 degree shift but it's uh, it's okay for me it's just okay and uh, I'll take what I get so beautiful yeah no I, I love that I, I think that's it's a very unique way of navigating the world and it doesn't surprise me because I've talked with people who have similar ways of, of navigating and that's something that I I'll navigate if it's my bliss and I feel it I'm like oh yeah this is good I'm going to follow this but at the mental level if I let's say like I want to work with a particular client and I'm not necessarily getting the level of bliss that I would optimally like then I just charge more. <laughs> that's it's as simple as that. I mean, literally, because that's that's I like. Look, uh, if if I don't enjoy it as much, then I'm just going to charge you more. It's like it's like that simple. And so it's I understand that way of navigating. Uh, I think the navigating your bliss is it's getting you. Yeah, your your that's your path, like the path to bliss. I mean, that makes it makes perfect sense to me. I don't think it's odd or weird or anything like that. I think it's a very uh, it's a very unique approach of navigating the world. And the other thing that comes to mind as, as we talk about this is in the yoga tradition, I, I spent six months after, after I graduated from school, before I got into my coaching work, I spent six months living with yogis in the mountains at like 13,000 feet. And I ate off the land and all this other cool stuff. And when I learned about their way of interacting with the world and navigating, they navigate very similarly and when you feel a rush of energy, like that blissful, like, oh, yeah, whew, this is it. And you feel that in their tradition, they have what's called. I'm not sure if you've heard of this. Have you heard of the pranamaya kosha? Yeah. So they just say it's like, oh, yeah, that person has like a strong pranamaya kosha. Their energy field is really, really strong. And so really, if you're it sounds like you're just following that life energy, that natural life energy. And I don't think you can really go wrong. When that's your navigation tool, obviously. I mean, how can you go wrong with more bliss? <laughs> I don't think I can, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell me about the time you lived with the yogis. So why did you decide to do that, and how did you like? How did you settle into it? Because it's obviously a big shift, right? Yeah, great question. So when I was, it really came after 
I guess back then I would have called it a crisis. Now I would just say it was a normal evolutionary jump. <laughs> but uh, I had gone through, I had just moved across the state to marry a woman. I like sold my motorcycle, bought a ring. Uh, so I, I just sold my motorcycle, moved in, moved in with her. And a week into living with her, my intuition was like, this isn't the right relationship for you, man. So I just sold my motorcycle, bought the ring, moved across the, the, the state. And then I got that intuition. And I'm the type of person who just has to follow my intuition like right away, even if it's painful. And so I moved in with her and then I broke up with her the, the very next week. And she was like, totally like, this doesn't make sense. Like people don't do this. And she sh said that to me and I was like, look, it doesn't mean that I don't love you, but yeah, uh, people don't do this, but I'm not like everyone else. I live differently. And so that was a big lesson for me. So then I went off to India after that, because I was like, I just got to get away from everything that I've ever known. Cause I had a realization that up to that point, what I called as myself was everything that I had taken on in my life, how I thought about relationships, what my culture told me, what my society told me. So I said, if I wanted to create a new part of myself or discover a deeper part of myself, then I have to remove myself from every influence that I've ever had. And so I committed to removing myself from every influence that I had ever had for six months and going into a space where I was very quiet, where I was away from everyone, where I had very little worldly influences and more of just um, nature's influences, I guess you could say it. And so then I went to India, I found a group of traveling yogis, and I traveled with them for six months, didn't have any contact really with the world and ate off the land. And it was crazy. I'll never forget it. When I was coming out of that space, I, I um, was getting back onto the plane to go back to America. And India is, I'm sure you've, I know you've traveled all around the world, but uh, there were, I stepped on a wire. I was so blissed out living because I was like eating off the land. I was like, I felt like I was in perfect union with the environment. I stepped on this wire and it electrocuted me, like literally electrocuted me. And I, was, I felt it and I still had a reaction to it, but it wasn't nearly as bad or as nearly as, uh, what's the word I could say? It wasn't nearly as bad or nearly as shocking as I normally would have. I think Ben, because I was just so plugged in. I was so plugged in after that point. And that's really how I feel all the time. I mean, I, I have, there's, there's actually times where I have all my systems in place, but then the bliss overcomes me and I'm like trying to fight to keep from going into uh, Samadhi <laughs> because I'm like really feeling the flow. <laughs> That's amazing. So, well, when you went out of this and back to America, that must have been a diverse, uh, a reverse culture shock, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, I remember flying back into my home. It was in Philadelphia, landing in Philadelphia International. And the collective energy of everything was just totally, totally. It just I was like, this is not it. I, I'm not going to stay here. And that was when I knew I was, I was going to have to move. And so I packed up all my stuff. Uh, didn't know where I was going to necessarily move to. I scouted a couple areas and I looked at like Boulder, Colorado. I looked at San Diego, California, and then Phoenix, Arizona, packed all my stuff up in my car and then hit the road and just said, I'm just going to feel it out. I'm just going to follow that feeling and follow that bliss. And as soon as I drove across the column, my spirit animal, we're getting really wah wah wee hoo here, but uh, I hope you don't mind it. My spirit animal is an eagle, 
whenever I go, I went into a deep state of meditation and I, you know, had a really awesome experience and that was kind of revealed to me in that deeper state. And, uh, when I crossed the Colorado line, I had, there was like seven Eagles, like in a V shaped formation, which I don't even think they even fly in a V shaped formation, but I was going across the Colorado border and I saw them and I was looking up and I was like, okay, I think I'm supposed to be here. I'll take that as a sign. And then I, I moved in. I, as soon as I drove into Boulder, I got that bliss feeling, said, this is where I'm going to settle down. And I had my first client within the first month and I didn't have a job. I didn't have a salary. I had some money in the bank, some savings, but not that much. And I had my first client and now I'm, I'm still working with them to this day. And they've killed it since we've been working together for the last year or two years now, I guess it would be. And so, yeah, it's just following it. Perfect. I, I mean, what a story, right? <laughs> I think I think people get this whole energy thing wrong. Mm. When I talk about energy, like a lot of people like just think like, oh, that's a woo and very crystals and like, nah, you know, like I think it's just metaphysics that, I mean, yeah. we're, we are all built off water and blood and neurons and atoms and whatever, and they all are just energy. So but it got me, it took me like a long while to understand it and to admit like, yeah, okay, it's physics, fine. I'll take the science. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And this is why really the pure yogic tradition, and this is why I spent six months living with them. The real yogic tradition is art. It's a science. It's not spirituality. Like maybe in the West or maybe in the modern world, we would say that it's like, oh no, that's spirituality. But the real yogic tradition, not yoga like hot yoga or flash yoga, but like the real actual class. Or goat yoga. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> All the forms of yoga that they have today. The authentic yoga really was, it means union with the divine and being in union with the divine is really just being aligned to nature and recognizing that there's a beautiful word that Ken Wilber uses called Holland. And Holland, the H-O-L-O-N, means a small subset of a bigger subset. Right. And that's who we are as human beings. And our thoughts and our emotions and our actions are all smaller subsets of a bigger, greater puzzle. And there is a perfection. And so if I had to put it all into words, I think the when people feel that energetic flow and they follow their bliss... They're just getting into closer connection with understanding and realizing that they're aligning to that bigger puzzle that we're all a part of. Right. So I take that you probably know Sadhguru and have read a lot of him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I stopped at his ashram when I was leaving. Uh, I stopped at his ashram. I spent, I think, two weeks or two or three weeks there on the exit. Mm. Um, I love and I actually, in one of my programs, I just inter- had one of his mentees on uh, two weeks ago. His name is uh, Jay Kabir. Jay Kabir, he's doing a lot of great transformational work with companies in India right now. And he's mentored under Sadhguru. Yeah, I love, I've never gotten the chance to talk to him, but that's definitely, I already know that's going to happen. I know that's in the in the works. I feel it coming soon. <laughs> yeah, totally. I loved his book, um, Inner Engineering. Amazing book, amazing book. So we are slowly getting to the end. And one question that I usually ask my guests is, in 
like after all your experience in today's world, what does efficiency actually mean to you? Yeah, great question. I would say alignment, absolutely alignment. Because if you look at like a lot of people look at efficiency as like having systems in place and then putting those systems in place over something, but it doesn't account for the natural organics of a system as well too. So the best way that I could, I guess I'm trying to think of some examples here from books that I've read within the past five years. You can have a system set up in place, but that system might not work within a certain environment. So I think it's efficiency would just say, it would just be aligning to the environment. Know what environment you're in, know the field that you're playing in, know the game, and then build the system being within that environment. It's the only way, like if you build a system that is not within one environment and then try to apply that system to a different environment, it's not going to work. It can't work because it's a different system. So I would really say that that efficiency really comes down to, to alignment. And when there's alignment, there's less friction. And when there's less friction, then naturally there's, there's going to be more efficiency and productivity because there's no friction. Yeah, totally love that. Awesome. Okay, so tell our people where they can find you and what you can offer or if you have anything to offer for them. Yeah, absolutely. So if people want to check me out, you can check me out at my website, transformationalcoaching.co. I couldn't get .com, so .co, C-O. And then I also have a YouTube uh, channel, Transformational Coaching. And there's really two areas that I specialize in. The first area is helping coaches and, and entrepreneurs use the online world to generate consistent double digit months. And, and the way that I look at it as if you have the right relational set of skills and then you have the right online tools, those things are going to give you those results that you want out there in the external world. But you have to have that right way of being, but also the right online tools. So that's the one thing that I do. And then the second thing that I do is executive coaching. Uh, so that's working within organizations. It's very similar to the work that you do going in there looking at their value systems, looking at the culture and bringing alignment uh, to the relationships within that within that organization so they can be the most productive and efficient within their output. Awesome. Any resources that you have currently that people can get uh, for free? Absolutely. Uh, so if you want at the website, transformationalcoaching.co, I have three resources. The first one is just a 26-page PDF and that's all on building your business online as a coach. Then the second resource is a client acquisition class, and that's just relationship building, developing trust, and how to do that with, with other individuals. And then the third part is I run a free 80 to 90 minute training specifically uh, for coaches and entrepreneurs who want to expand their business. And that goes every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Mountain Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time transformationalcoaching.co my friends go have a look charitable my friends i call you all my friends now i could say pineapples but i'm not sure if you resonate with that so who cares <laughs> <laughs> all right jared this was an amazing episode thank you so much for having this conversation with me and taking time tonight in la i hope you have a wonderful stay there and i hope we're going to stay in touch and well 
we put all of your links in the show notes below. Thank you so much for having me, Monique. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure and it's been a real honor connecting with you. I'm looking forward to more. Yeah, thank you. Oh, and if you don't know people, Jared is the one who's going to send you 26 uh, 20 second videos um, if you connect with him on Facebook. So you should try it out. They're actually pretty cool. So you should connect with him on Facebook too so he can send you a few of his videos as well. All right. If you haven't yet, you should subscribe to Efficiency On Demand because we bring on amazing entrepreneurs and business owners with the best stories who tell you how they got efficient. And if you haven't yet, you should check me out too. Wherever you can find me, just look in the show notes for any links. Thank you so much, Jared, and I'll see everyone next week. You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned about your ultimate potential, how to control your time, how to create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. Limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And please follow on Instagram at Secret Weapon to Efficiency. We'll see you next time on Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Remember... Slow down to speed up.